Now, how do you speak about understanding what makes a church grow, uh, or at least trying to? I shared with some of our staff team, I'm being asked to speak about what makes a church grow, and they just laughed. So, well, that didn't give me a lot of confidence. So I'm certainly not an expert when it comes to this, and, uh, but I do trust that as I share some of these things, my desire uh, as, a, as an engineer by background is to give something of a, of a practical theology to guide our thinking in the way forward. So I've got four initial thoughts for you and uh, six examples out of the early church in the book of Acts. And uh, if you're at home, I'd love you to download the notes so that you can follow along with. I've got a couple of scriptures I want us to read through as we look at these examples. And so let's dive into intro thought number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. I'm reading from the NLT tonight. It says, after all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seeds in your heart, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It is not important who does the planting. So all of you planters out there, isn't that a feel-good moment right there? It's not important who does. Now, here's the thing. You are incredibly important to the Lord. But actually, this is good news, because what this tells me is that God can actually use anyone. It's not important who plants. Yes, you're special. You're a snowflake, a blessing, all of those things. But here's the reality. The good news is that you might feel, "Ah, maybe I'm not the planting type. I'm not a great evangelist. I'm not a a great communicator like Steve. You know what? God can use anyone who's faithful, submitted, committed, and obedient to Jesus. Actually, it's good news. So it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Now, that's a revelation. Now, one thing I've learned is that revelation is the most powerful thing that we can have as people. Because first comes revelation, then come resources. Out of revelation flows resources. When you've got a revelation, first and foremost, it's not about me. Yes, God is going to use me and he's going to use you. But actually, it's the revelation that God can bring growth. When you get the revelation out of that, resources flow. So big idea number one, what's not important is who does the planting so we can relax because God can use anyone with any gift. Second big idea is what is super important is that God makes things grow. So that means don't worry so much about models and methods. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus because he is the one who brings the growth. So, initial thought number two, to understand what makes a church grow, we need to understand the partnership dynamic between God and His instruments on earth. Now, this is crucial because our Heavenly Father loves us so much. I wonder, why don't you just use angels or lightning bolts from heaven? But the fact is, God wants to use His sons and daughters to bring His glory. And those, the three key instruments, number one, He uses His Word, number two, His Spirit, and then number three, His man or his woman. Now those three, the relationship between the three of them is critical for us to understand. Number one, he uses his word. God spoke and created God's word. I love it. It says the word of God is living and active. I've often felt God nudging me saying, Brent, let the word do the work. Let the word do the work. The word is living and active. Trust, it's not your great communications. No, no, let the word do the work. The word can create and set free. Trust his word. It's his spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. It's the spirit who gives birth to spirit. But 
Then he works through us as human vessels. All three are critically important. We cannot make the church grow, but God has chosen to involve us in the process. And that's to God's glory. It's a beautiful thing. We get to mess it up or speed it up, but God delights in using us. So initial thought number three, being an engineer, I like to go to uh, first principles and not uh, models, methods, but let's go to Jesus. What? was the key to the growth of Jesus' ministry. We're going to look at the book of Acts in a moment, but in the book of Acts is actually first layer, actually built upon what Jesus did. We have to go one layer deeper than the book of Acts first because they were modeling the church and ministry upon Jesus himself. So what is it that brought uh, the life and growth to Jesus' ministry? Well, Luke chapter 4, verses uh, 14 to 15 as an example. It says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, Filled with the Holy Spirit's power. This is critical. No model, no method, no formula can ever take the place of filled with the Spirit's power. Now listen to this. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. That's what happens. And I'm going to explain that a little bit more in a moment. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. So full of the Holy Spirit's power is always at the root of true growth and effectiveness. Now notice I say true growth because sometimes you can have a, a big this or a big that and numbers might come, but numbers don't always represent true growth. True growth happens by the Spirit of God. The best advertising, and I remember Grant saying last week, not to go overboard with advertising, the best advertising is people who have seen, have heard, have been touched by the power of God because they will be the best carriers. It's always people's testimonies of what God has done. His works seem to gather people and his words won them over. Now, I'll uh, mention a little bit more of that in a moment. Initial thought number four, though. So bringing those three thoughts together, the goal in a nutshell. Now, we were talking about culture, talking about the kind of people in a church. For me, this is the sweet spot. The goal in a nutshell is to create a church culture similar to what they experienced in the early church. Now, here's what happened. Peter and John, remember they were arrested by the, the Sanhedrin, and they were commanded, stop telling people about Jesus. Stop preaching about Jesus. Stop ministering in Jesus' name. And look what they said. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 20, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Imagine with me, a church full of people, we, we can't stop telling people about what we've seen and heard. You know, when, when you've been gripped by something, it is natural. You visit me in Richard's Bay, chances are somewhere along the line, I'm going to convince you to come and have a bunny chow with me down at K&K Curry's at the docks. It's a dive. I mean, it's, in terms of atmosphere, it's just, it's like dock workers and it's, it's a shack. But let me tell you, those bunny chow are the best in the world. You cannot stop telling about something that's impacted you highly. So we can do advertising campaigns and all of these things, but when hearts are gripped by what God has done, we cannot stop telling people about what we've seen and heard. I heard a stat once that 80% of people who get saved and stay saved, if theologically that makes sense to you, are brought to the Lord by a friend or family member. Now that's huge. So now, talking about reaching out, how do we build our church? 80% of the people who are really going to become hardcore members of your church are the people in your church know them. It's, it's their acquaintances, their family members, their friends. So the more the people in the church are impacted by the power of God, the more they'll share it. 
with others. So seen and heard, works and words are like the right and left hand of ministry. Just like each of us has a hand that's stronger than the other, the ideal is to strengthen both. It's the works and the words, seen and heard. Now, how many of you are left-handed? Okay, like Jesus and me and some of them. Now, that means, that means one hand is normally stronger than the other. Now, I mean, I'm an engineer, I'm a teacher, I love the Word of God. Up to me, church would be about come gather, sit down, let's just study the Word together, now let's go home. But the reality is, people need to be prayed for. Prophecy, healing, those sort of things are not my natural go-to, but like two hands. It's works and word, seen and heard. And as we mature in leading, you'll know what you're strong at, but we need to work on the other side as well. Works and word, seen and heard. So that's just a couple of initial thoughts. I want to take you now through six examples. I call them growth triggers in the early church. Now, I'm not going to try and teach. This is not a model. It's not a method. But rather, I want to challenge you and uh, all of you on Zoom land or or YouTube, wherever it is, to, to dig your own theology. Quite a few times in the book of Acts, we see these little keys where it says, suddenly people were added, or this grew, or this. So I'm just pulling out six of those examples to say what triggered the growth in that instance of the church. So here's number one. Number one, spirit-filled message and messenger. This is an obvious one, Acts 2, 36 to 41. Uh, Peter was preaching just after the Holy Spirit had been poured out. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you, to your children, to those far away, to all who've been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. So, First big growth trigger follows straight after the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we see Peter, who once was intrepid and shy and held back, standing up, preaching boldly, and 3,000 people got saved. That means to me two parts there, a spirit-filled messenger and a spirit-filled message. Here's the reality. Biggest reason still why people will be drawn to the church and stay in the church is because you're feeding them well from the Word of God. Spirit-filled Word of God. Not your ideas, not your clever thoughts. It's the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And don't you love the way Peter preached? It says they, he, they were pierced to the heart. He said, whom you crucified. I've been amazed that if you can communicate to people how much you love them, then their hearts want to be pierced. Actually, have you had that feeling, you know, when it's like, "Mm, ouch, but it's a good ouch. And actually, God's people respond to that, not just a gentle encouragement, but actually, this is the truth. And you know that I love you, but this is the truth. People respond to spirit-filled, straight Bible. Focus on Jesus, preach the word, uh, be super loving and super piercing. But here's the thing. Big idea here, to never minister just from gifting or ability. Something Ed Strong spoke a few times and it really challenged me. It's when you've been leading a church for a while and you're preaching week after week after week, I find it's easy to fall into a pattern of, I could put a message together in an hour. 
and most people would say, great message. But you can fall into gifting and ability as opposed to Holy Spirit anointing and power. And it's, this is the challenge to keep on Holy Spirit. It's you. We need you. You bring the life and growth. So trigger number one, spirit-filled message and messenger. Number two, spirit-filled healthy community life. Remember how it carried on in Acts 2? I'll just go to verse 46, 47. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. So, Second growth trigger is about developing a Holy Spirit-filled community of friends who are on mission as a community. Now, this is huge. It's one thing preaching. It's one thing people making a decision, yes, for the Lord, but then people need community. A Dudley Daniel quote, what you get saved into is more important than what you get saved out of. Maybe you get saved out of drugs or murder or whatever it might be, but what are people getting saved into? Is it a culture of freedom, of joy, of Holy Spirit freedom? Like Michael Eaton, I remember him saying this once, if you want your church to grow, just fill it with joy. People are drawn to joy. People are attracted to joy. That's healthy, Holy Spirit-filled community. Another quote, sometimes people have to feel like they belong before they believe. Healthy community is attractive. I just want to share my conviction in terms of, of this. I love this verse in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, where it speaks about he makes the whole body, speaking about Jesus, fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. In other words, the focus here was not don't focus on growth, focus on involvement. As each part does its special work, the body grows and builds itself up. And my challenge would be, as church planters building the church, get people involved, get people doing, get people belonging and functioning. And as people are involved, growth takes care of itself. So focus on involvement and growth takes care of itself. Big idea, event growth is exciting, but continual healthy community growth is even more important. Very quickly, number three, Carries on, spirit-filled ministry of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, both in and out of the church. Acts 3, 7 to 11. Remember, Peter went out and he saw that lame man and he said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, up you get. He bounced to his feet. A little bit later in chapter 4, verse 4, after a crowd gathered, he preached the gospel. In Acts 4, verse 4, many of the people who heard the message believed. And so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. In other words, it was the release. It was the using of spiritual gifts that released the life of God. So here's the big idea. Third growth trigger revolves around releasing the life of God through the spiritual gifts of the priests. Now, a couple of things to say about this. I think every single one of us have spiritual gifts. Everyone in the church has spiritual gifts, and they carry the life and power of God. Two examples. Some things you're not going to be good at, and some things... God is going to anoint. And, and sometimes we can try and be what we're not. I remember I was with my friend Bruce McAlpine. We were in Nicaragua doing an outdoor evangelist crusade, and I'm not. 
not. I remember preaching. I mean, I thought I preached a great... You know when you, you'd, you'd pay money for someone to raise their hand and respond? You know, outdoor. I, just, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that when it's like, please, just someone respond. I couldn't get a response out of anyone. The next day I was invited to preach in a church and I just taught the Word of God and about 11 people gave their life to Jesus. My point is simply this. Some things we're not super anointed to, and that's okay. God can use any gift. That's my, I mean, you'd think surely planting a church should be an evangelist. That helps. Your church might grow quickly. But you can plant a church as a teacher. Might grow slower, but might grow stronger. Different gifts God can use, but he can use every one of them. Another conviction that I've come to, though, on the, the this is the other yellow line that Steve was talking about. Is that I've done many of the positioning, the prophetic. Some of you might have done them when, uh, and for a whole weekend, everyone prophesies, and then two weeks later, no one's prophesying again. What I discovered is I'm a lazy prophet. I'll just be honest with you. I'm not like some of these prophetic people who wash the dish and bam, God gives them a prophetic word. I've got to go the other way. I've got to go to God for the gift, if that makes sense. Some people very gifted in something, it's like God downloads it. If I go to God and say, Lord, I need a prophetic word, guess what happened? God gives it to me. And so when I'm not prophesying, it's just because I'm lazy, just because I haven't taken the time to actually go to God. And here's my challenge. Some areas will flow naturally. Others we've got to be more intentional about, but spiritual gifts carry the life of God. We've got to make space for them so that people can be ministered to. So, Three more to go. Let's go. This one might take you by surprise. Spirit-filled governmental leadership. You would think that people dying in a church would put people off. Acts 5 verse 5. Remember what happened? As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. A few verses later, verse 13 and 14. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet... More and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. Isn't that amazing? You'd think, don't go near the Christians. People die there. The opposite happened. Here's what I believe. The fourth growth trigger is exercising loving church discipline. It's actually super attractive to real believers. You see, your job, my job, as leaders planting a church, leading a church, is to keep the health of the church. Now, this is a, a huge verse for me. I'm going to read from the, the NRV. John 1 verse 14 says, The word became flesh, speaking about Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's glorious? Glorious is when grace and truth come together in a leader's life. Now, what I'm talking about here is exactly that, is as the leader, once again, it's like having a left and right hand. I believe all of us are born on the truth side or on the grace side. Let me give you an example. Someone said to me recently, they said, uh, Brent, I think uh, in this situation, you should do what your wife recommends, but you should be the one who does it. Because here's why. Too much truth without grace offends people and hurts people and people leave. And you say, all I was saying was what the Bible says. Yeah, but you said it in such an unloving way, it just offends other times, now that can be my wife sometimes, bless her, I need her opinions. I can be so gracious sometimes, my wife would say, I don't think they realized you were rebuking them. I think, you, I think they just thought you were encouraging them. In other words, I can be so gracious, you know, and, and love covers a multitude of sins, but then the pond becomes toxic because truth sets free. 
So grace and truth, when they come together, that's glorious leadership. Now what's here, what's happening is Jesus was restoring to his church grace and truth. And as leaders, that releases the life and continues growth. So big idea, learning to exercise spirit-filled government in a loving and truthful way keeps the church environment healthy and growing. If we lose that, it can become over-truthful if people leave, and I've seen leaders like that, offending people all the time, and people leave. I can't handle this anymore. Or so much grace, 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 no truth that the environment becomes toxic because actually stuff is never dealt with. Alrighty, very quickly, the last two I want to uh, finish with is a spirit-filled leadership team. Remember Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. I love that verse. Oof. I mean, this is the church in Jerusalem, the perfect church, and they've got rumblings of discontent. Write that down somewhere. One day it'll bless you. One day it'll encourage you. When people complain in your church, it's like, well, they complained here as well. Anyway, moving along. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. So brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. They chose the seven. Verse number seven said, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. This is huge. Growth trigger number five is if you're not building for future growth through future leaders, you can outgrow your leadership capacity. You hit the ceiling. Then as people are coming, they're leaving because you're dropping the ball, overlooking this, overlooking that busyness now. So the church never grows. People come, people leave, and there's no growth. Why? Because your wine skin is leaking. It's too small. And so the fifth growth trigger is to make sure that you don't outgrow your leadership capacity by developing enough leaders before you burn out and start dropping the ball. Crucial. One, it means as leaders, you've got to continue growing. I love what Steve was saying. You, we have to keep growing if we want others to be able to grow as well. And number two, you've got to be developing from day one the leaders around you to be able to facilitate that as well. And very lastly, number six, Spirit-filled mission, one of those seven chosen. Uh, Philip went off, he preached in Samaria. And uh, signs, wonders, verse number eight says, so there was great joy in that city. I want to leave you with this one. The sixth growth trigger is about building a sense of mission into your church. Choose intentionally Acts chapter one, verse eight, so that God doesn't have to choose Acts chapter eight, verse one for you. Do you remember the difference? Acts 1, 8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Acts 8, verse 1 says, because they didn't, it says a great persecution broke out and they were scattered. So God is going to use us as an apostolic people. I recommend doing it the Bible way, intentionally. Remember what God said to Abraham? Leave your people, your country, your father's household. Remember that apostolic blessing? I will bless you. I will make your name great. As we put that sense of mission into people, as in the words of Dudley Daniel, as you go, you grow. So um, in conclusion, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 7 says what's important is that God makes the seed grow. 
the Holy Spirit working in our lives, I would, I know I've rushed through quite a bit of stuff. I would encourage you, use it as a template, dig your own theology out of the book of Acts to see how the Holy Spirit wants to develop that in your life in the church. How the Word plus the Holy Spirit plus ordinary people who choose to obey. 